Hi, it's Jill Schlesinger. On this week's episode, we are in the market for a new car, or maybe a truck, or maybe an SUV. Mike Quincy of Consumer Reports, he's up next. The best car for a teenage driver is a two or three-year-old Honda Accord, Toyota Camry, Ford Fusion. You want your, your teenage drivers to have the most advantages in terms of safety equipment. You want your teenage drivers to have a vehicle with stability control. Welcome to the Better Off Podcast, sponsored by Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor. Today, we are in the market to buy a car, or maybe to lease a car, or maybe to buy a used car. Well, if that is something that you can relate to, or even if you already just bought a car, we've got a special guest, Mike Quincy. He is the automotive content specialist at Consumer Reports. The reason I love talking to Mike is that he can boil down the car experience in a very easy-to-understand way. Now, I know maybe you've listened to Car Talk in the past. This is not actually that show. This is a show about if you are in the market for a different kind of vehicle, where do you find a best bet? What are the bargains that are out there? How do you know what has the best safety rating? What is hype? What is real? Every single person out there who drives a car Pay attention. You're going to go buy a car for your kid? What's the safest car? We're going to talk about that. So stay tuned. It's Mike Quincy of Consumer Reports. And don't forget, after the interview with Mike, we've got the listener question of the week. If you'd like to get on the program, just send us an email. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. Mark will respond. He'll figure it out, get you on the air, and we'll answer your financial questions. And now, here's my interview with Mike Quincy. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Okay, it's time for the interview segment. And I love this guy so much that I reached out to him personally and begged him to drive four hours to come to this studio to talk about the best way to buy a car here in 2017. So let me introduce our guest, Mike Quincy. His official title is Automotive Specialist at Consumer Reports. But essentially, he has the best job in the world. He's the dude who gets to like test drive every car, write about it, and kind of like play with you about what's like the fun part of driving this great car. You find beauty in every type of car, which I also love. And you're also very helpful in buying a car because there have been times where I have been in an auto dealership and have actually sent you an email and said, do I need to take this thing? Do I need to actually get this thing? And Mike's like, nah, don't get that thing. So Mike Quincy, welcome to Better Off. Thanks so much. That was a great buildup. My wife must have put you off to it. Of course. <laughs> now, we start the, the interview with a, a very important question. You ready? What's the best financial decision you've ever made? It could be car or non-car related. Gosh, I, I getting getting married. You know what? That's so weird. I would never think of that, but you are like probably the fourth guest who said that. Well, because my wife is much smarter than I am, well, and so she knows how to like invest the the few pennies that we have after we're you know done buying food for our teenage boys and and uh, and where we should live. And she's really good with numbers. She manages money really well. Uh, I also I bought a a 1965 Mustang GT Fastback in 1988, and I held on to it uh, up until just like two years ago. 
And it maybe it didn't perform as well as uh, you know a really good index fund, but it did okay. It did okay, and and for especially for an asset that usually depreciates in value. And it was it was you know how much fun can you have looking at your stock certificate? No, you can take an old car out and, and drive it and take it to car shows. You love cars, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when did you join Consumer Reports? I started in Consumer Reports in the home office in 1993. Uh, they were looking for somebody to put a, together uh, automotive buying guides and, and other, other types of books, and I morphed into writing for the magazine and I talked them into letting me write about cars. And, uh, and then I joined uh, the test track in Connecticut full-time in 2001. So I've, you know, I've, I've, got a, I've had a good run with Consumer Reports. About 25 years since you got there, talk about the process of buying a car today and how much that's changed. Wow. Well, the cars these days, and this kind of sounds like a cliche, but they're they're better than ever. It used to be there was only one or two manufacturers you could count on to get a reliable, fuel-efficient car. And now... They're, they're really all pretty good. Really? Uh, oh, the, the, compared to even 10 years ago. I mean, when, when people talk about getting the most car for their, their money, but they want a new car, I said, you know, have you checked out Kia? Have you checked out Hyundai? And they often say, well, aren't those the, the really junky Korean cars? And they say, absolutely not. They're fantastic. And, and they still, you know, pack a lot of value in. But what you've got going on today for buying cars is you know the the whole interwebs thing? I mean, you've got all this pricing information. You've got all of these people giving their you know air quotes reviews of cars. You know, some are are better than others. And I guess you know, being from Consumer Reports, I like to think that we're the best and we're worth you know buying a subscription to get really good unbiased information. But there's tons of information out there in terms of what car you should buy. How much is reasonable amount of profit for for the, a car? Five hundred, a thousand bucks. What what is it? Consumer Reports has never been about about ripping off a dealer. Uh, they, 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 obviously, they're in business to make money, and they should they should make money. The, the the ugly fact that a lot of people don't understand is is that car dealers actually make more money selling used cars than new cars. That's where the profit margins are. So there isn't as much sometimes leeway. Uh, for a new car sale, as people might think. And it also depends how hot the car is. For example, if the price of gas spikes to 4 $5 a gallon, people will be standing in line to buy a Toyota Prius, uh, which did very well in Consumer Reports testing, 52 miles per gallon overall. But right now, Priuses and hybrids are going begging. I mean, the dealers don't want them because gas is relatively cheap. And when gas is cheap, Americans want big cars and trucks. So... It, it depends on supply and demand. I heard an episode of This American Life where they devoted the entire episode to spending, uh, I think, the last week of a calendar year in a car dealership in Brooklyn or Queens. I can't remember where it was. It was so eye-opening, Mike, because what I learned was, of course, on a used car, they're going to make a bigger margin. But on a new car, they're willing to lose money to move the unit if that means it hits a certain number for the end of a month and more importantly for the end of the year. So essentially, the best time for you to go buy a car is the last week of the year? Uh, it, it, it can be. And, and you can get a great deal on a leftover model. By leftover, I mean if, you, if you're going car shopping in, in late December of 2017, the 2018s are already out. And the dealers are real anxious to get rid of their 2017 models. Now, if you keep your car for a long time, uh, you know, you asked before, you know, good financial decisions, buy a really good car and literally drive it into the ground. So you spread that cost of that car over a long, long time. If you keep your car a long time, buying a leftover model makes a lot of sense. If you keep your cars only a couple of years, 
the second you drive that car off the dealer's lot, it already has a year's de- depreciation. So, so you, you, get, you get killed if you turn your cars over quickly, but you make out like a bandit if you keep them for a long time. The more prudent financial decision would be, I'm going to buy recently used car, like the last couple of years, with a warranty. I pay cash. I don't get a loan. I drive it into the ground. Absolutely. Everyone always will be like, should I lease or should I buy? And from my recollection, I did this story about five years ago, and when I actually crunched the numbers, that the cost of ownership was, you know, for the sort of three to five year range, pretty close. But if you do drive that car for a long time, obviously you own something at the end of those three or five years, so you're in better position. Still the case? Generally, yes, but but sometimes the decision might not be so financial based. If you like a new car, then you like leasing because every few years you get a new car. And that's, you know, kind of nice and psychological and fun and the new car smell and everything. Another is a peace of mind. There are a lot of cars in Consumer Reports testing that have, let's call it, shaky reliability record. Okay. Some German cars, for example. Like what? Uh, a Mercedes-Benz C-Class, an Audi A4. You mean, the, 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 basically, the, you mean like the cheap end of the high-class brands? Not always necessarily the cheap end. I mean, even sometimes a high-end model like a Mercedes-Benz S-Class, which can be $100,000, has kind of um, shaky reliability. They're usually teetering on average or below average. But sometimes people fall in love with cars. And I say, all right, listen, if you have your heart set on that Mercedes-Benz S-Class, you've worked hard all your life, you really want one, here's, here's my suggestion. Instead of buying the S-Class, which when it's out of warranty, it's probably going to cost you a, a certain number of appendages to keep running, lease it. Because just about the time when stuff might start be breaking on it, that's when you get to give it back to the dealer. But again, but it doesn't make financial sense because you're you're spending all this money on, on a depreciating asset. And at the end of the lease, you've got nothing to show for it. So I uh, interviewed this guy who is head of the service department for a Mercedes dealership. And I had to do it off the record because he could not do a real interview because he would get in trouble. I wonder why. (laughs) And um, one of the things he told me was that usually within 18 months, they know whether you've got a clunker or not. Do you find that to be the case? It depends on the brand. But in Mercedes, for example? Uh, Mercedes makes beautiful cars. They're often very satisfying to drive. I don't know if I trust them with my life. Wow. In terms, of, in terms of reliability, you, you shouldn't take that out of context. They're very safe. Okay. <laughs> they have great safety features. They do well in crash tests. So, so that respect, yes. But, but dollar for dollar, owning a Mercedes, a uh, high-end BMW, Audi, they tend to be expensive to maintain. Uh, their long-term ownership costs in Consumer Reports surveys is usually pretty high. That's also true for a lot of luxury cars. Uh, ownership cost also including depreciation. But what you said before was spot on. Buy a two or three year old used car that has a good reliability record because the previous owner has already taken the hugest, the biggest depreciation hit. Okay. Uh, we got a lot of people whose kids are graduating high school, maybe graduating college, maybe a car is in their future. I always love when you when I put you on the spot like this. So best car for kid under 25 years old this is this is when the the parent steps in does a little research and overrules their kid if 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 they're like a lot of certainly young boys and men i don't do you call them kids anymore yeah we call them kids young male drivers let's say um they might say i want a truck 
you know, I want a big burly truck or I want uh, a Mustang GT or something like that. That's when the parent steps in and says, okay, uh, first of all, Mustang GT, no way if you're on my insurance because it's going to be too much money. Secondly, uh, we don't want you driving a truck. You're a relatively inexperienced driver. Trucks have a higher center of gravity. Forget about that too. Probably the best dri- the best car for a teenage driver is a two or three-year-old Honda Accord, Toyota Camry, Ford Fusion. You want your, your teenage drivers to have the most advantages in terms of safety equipment. You want your teenage drivers to have a vehicle with stability control. The knee-jerk reaction is, well, I'm going to put Junior in the old clunker because, well, he's just going to scratch it up anyway, and I've worked hard all my life. I'm getting myself a new car. And I usually stop them and say, you know, you need to actually turn that upside down. And they say, are you crazy? I'm not going to put my kid in a new car. I said, but your 10-year-old, 15-year-old clunker doesn't have stability control. It doesn't have all the latest safety equipment. So you want your kid to be in the newest car with the most amount of safety that you can afford. This is Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. We'll get back to my interview with Mike Quincy of Consumer Reports in just a second. But, you know, I was thinking about this. Mike starts talking about what brand is there that represents value. And this is one of the reasons why I am so happy that Betterment is the sponsor of this podcast. Betterment is the largest independent online financial advisor. When you think about all the different financial service brands, Betterment is kind of like these brands that Mike talks about, which is you're going to find great value. Betterment's got low transparent advisory fees, especially when we compare that to traditional services, a quarter of 1% on assets under management. You can upgrade and pay more for access to a CFP or a licensed financial expert. And not only that, talk a lot about technology in the automotive sector. How about technology in financial services? Betterment knows that managing your wealth, it should be an easy and even an enjoyable experience. They've got data security and advanced login protection, so don't freak out about that. And right now, listeners of the Better Off podcast can get up to six months managed for free. Free! Zippo! For more information, visit Betterment.com slash Better Off. Betterment.com slash Better Off. Betterment. Rethink what your money can do. And now, back to my interview with Mike Quincy, car expert at Consumer Reports. Remember when we would talk about, like, this brand is a good brand? And now you just said previously, like, you know, these Korean car makers have really turned their brands around. Are there certain brands that you are partial to, just you, Mike? It ebbs and flows. There was a time that everything Honda made I thought was great. In the last, I want to say, six years, I mean, their their Civic did so poorly in our testing that, it wasn't recommended, like for the first time ever, just because its performance wasn't very good. And mm. Honda did a quick redesign and put it back out and it got better. There was a time when BMW, I loved everything they made, but then they came out with this really complicated control module that was called iDrive, and it was so complicated and distracting to use. It really, it really comes and goes. I think, I think Nissan has fallen on hard times when, when Renault bought controlling interest of Nissan, definitely watered down of their products. They just weren't as good as they used to. And it really, it really comes and goes. I, I think the, the, the brand that, that's kind of doing well, and if you want to say on a roll, I would say Subaru. 
Subarus have done very well in Consumer Reports testing. The new Subaru Impreza was redesigned this year. It is quiet. It's comfortable. It's reliable for an all-wheel drive car. It's fuel efficient. Uh, the Legacy Sedan is one of those ones that fly, flies under the radar. It's really a much better car than you think they have a, a right to be. They also make a really fun rear-wheel drive sports car, the BRZ. All of Subaru's products are recommended by Consumer Reports. And again, it's, it's an exciting brand, but man, they make good stuff. This category that's called crossover, what is that really? It's, it's the most popular type of car for sale these days. And what is it? A crossover is basically a car-based platform that sort of looks like an SUV. What did you pick? I, I would probably say one of the better ones is the, uh, the, the Toyota RAV4. For reliability, you can also get a hybrid model. Uh, did very well in Consumer Reports testing. Very good fuel economy, about I think about 27 miles per gallon overall, which is which is really good for the class. Give me a good news story about uh, an American car maker. Consumer Reports has a top picks list. These are the best of the best in all the categories. Okay. The Consumer Reports top pick for a compact car is the Chevrolet Cruze. What? And I actually drove the diesel version of the Chevrolet Cruze from the test track in Connecticut into New York City to talk with my friend Jill. And, and so that that is the best car in the category. And the best car for a large sedan is the Chevrolet Impala. And it's not crappy old rental car that we suffered through 20 years ago. This is a fully modern design. It has a great roomy interior, strong V6 engine, excellent handling. It's quiet. The controls are easy. Uh, when, when people say, you know, they want to air quotes, buy American, uh, even if the car is built in Canada or yeah. Mexico or whatever, go to the Chevrolet dealership and check out the cruise and check out the Impala. They're, they're world-class sedans. All right, let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Is it nuts to drive a smart car? <laughs> I mean, because that thing is teeny tiny. And don't I have to say that I don't park my car in the street in New York. I, I pay up for a garage, which is ridiculous, I know. But, I do but when thing. I see a smart car in one of those itty-bitty, teeny tiny spots, I have a tiny bit of like uh, car envy. Like, oh, it's so little it got in that spot. Are they safe? They are safe for the class. For micro cars, yes, they've they've passed crash tests, but uh, I well, <laughs> I don't know if I want that as my well. Oh, I well mean, they pass again. again it, it's, like with it's, a C or an A. It's it, it's it's all relative to the class. I live in kind of suburban country. The, the the houses are kind of close together. There's a few cars that I've driven home at night. And I get to drive all the other new test cars every night. I drive a different car home. So there's a couple cars where the neighbors came out of their houses. To see a closer look. One was a Dodge Viper, a super hyper crazy sports car. Uh-huh. The other one was a smart car. Because they're teeny. They're like a clown car. I don't really care for the smart car because the, the, the wheelbase is very short. So you kind of hobby horse over bumps all the time. <laughs> it, it's, it's, not, it's not comfortable. Uh, it's a tiny engine. It's only kind of relatively fuel efficient. It really isn't isn't that great, and it costs a lot of money. I mean, you can you how can, much you could drop eighteen, nineteen, twenty thousand or more on a smart car for less money. If you want something fuel efficient, yeah, get, you know, get a Toyota Corolla. I mean, get a, a two year old Toyota Prius if you want to save gas. To live with a smart car day in day out, uh, no thanks. Okay, now let's talk electric. Talk to me about the Tesla. I mean, first of all, do you know that Tesla just entered the Fortune 500 in the 330-ish range? Mm -hmm. I think they sold 76,000 cars last year. That's it. It is, uh, has a market cap that's larger than Ford and GM. Right. 
it's insane. I mean, Elon Musk, I don't know if he makes a good car, but I'll tell you what, he sells this company, not the cars themselves, the company. And investors are flocking into it. They say this Tesla is the future. Is Tesla the future, Mike? I think Tesla is breaking a lot of boundaries. I think Tesla is uh, certainly sending a wake-up call to Detroit and maybe even Japan, Germany. Um, The reports that I read suggest that Tesla loses money on every car they sell. The the cars themselves uh, have done... Well, the Model S did very well in Consumer Reports testing a really high road test score. For me, I'm, I'm a road trip guy. And I have a, a sister that lives in Washington, D.C., and that's about a you know five, six-hour drive from my house in Connecticut. If I took a Tesla, it would probably double my drive time. Why? Because, because the Tesla, according to Consumer Reports testing, the Model S is getting about 220-mile ra- uh, range. And you've got to stop. And, and you've got you to stop. And, and, and it's not necessarily a straight ah. line to where the supercharging stations are. So you might do this kind of crisscross down to Washington. That would that would drive me bonkers. If you had all the money in the world, a day to day car, which one would it be? I would probably. I I, I actually am quite smitten with the recent uh, redesigned Audi A4, despite my qualms about Audi's uh, you know hot and cold reliability. The A4 to me is is everything I want a car to be. It is it's just the right size comfortable it's quiet has great handling i could still get a manual transmission in it which is what i would get uh it's decently fuel efficient for an all-wheel drive car the controls aren't horrible Uh, i i find the a4 to be immensely satisfying to drive and in many ways i don't see a need to spend more than than that and and, what is that like 50 yeah yeah, a nice a4 is about 50 and if I could, you know, if I could afford something really stupid, I mean, I'd still probably get one of those. But I mean, that doesn't mean I don't love 911s, which is easy, 100 grand. I love Corvettes. Uh, I, I still love old muscle cars. All right. Uh, a last couple of questions. If I walk into a car dealership and they want to sell me an extended warranty, yes or no? No. Never. Unless the car has a traditionally horrible reliability record in the last survey of consumer report subscribers about extended warranties i believe the number was like 70 to 80 percent didn't see a dime of it didn't use it or you've really got to look at the fine print because the accountants at the car dealers at the, at the car companies they're much smarter than all of us yeah that they have they have data on components that may or may not fail they know if what's something's going to break, what not to. what's going to break? And, yeah. and, and, and Oh, sorry, we don't cover tires. Well, I love that one. Years ago, Chrysler made a big splash about this uh, lifetime powertrain warranty. What they didn't tell you, well, well actually, they probably did, but you didn't read it, is it wasn't transferable. So obviously some uh, smart accountant, statistician at Chrysler said, okay, uh, yeah, a certain high percentage of our cars only stay with owners two or three years. And in that time, the powertrain doesn't really fail. So we can say that we have a lifetime powertrain warranty, but it's not transferable. So when the, when the powertrain... You're the schnookabot of three when, years yeah, in. Exactly. Mm. And again, I'm not, I don't have any, any evidence to back that up. But I got to think that the auto companies are, are, are hedging their bets. Yeah. They, they know stuff that you don't know. But generally speaking, you, you don't get a really good financial return by buying an extended warranty. Last question. You ready? Started the show. What did I ask you? I said, what's your... Best financial or money decision? You said marrying your wife because she's the money whiz kid. What's the worst financial decision you've made? Oh, 
<laughs> okay. Uh, I'm car guy, right? Yeah. So I, I'm a couple years out of out of school, and um, I, I have my first like real job. And what am I making? You know, twenty two thousand dollars, something like that. And mm-hmm. and I went out and bought a Honda Civic, and it was a new car. It was the SI model. I loved it. And I was reading the local paper, and I was thumbing through the classifieds, and they had somebody was advertising a 1985 Mazda RX-7. Oh no, seven thousand miles. I um, was about to leave my job because I was fed up with it and, you know, me being a stupid 20-something-year-old. I didn't have another job lined up yet. So I had a loan on my Honda Civic, and I talked my mom into co-signing a loan so I could buy the RX-7 because I had to have a sports car. Yeah, you're cool. So there was a time when I had two car payments and no steady work. And that is probably a bad financial decision. Mike Quincy, automotive specialist at Consumer Reports. I cannot thank you enough for coming in and joining us here at Better Off. Thanks for having me on. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Okay, it's time for our favorite part of the program. Yep, it's your calls. I love this part. The listeners have questions. We want to answer them. If you'd like to get on the air with us, you've got two chances every week to do so. Just send us an email. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. Mark, the best producer in the world, will arrange everything. So either it will be on Tuesday when we drop the Better Off bonus call of the week, or you can join us on the longer show when we drop this on Thursdays. Today, we've got a call from our friend Dale. Now, Dale, where are you on the line from? Uh, I'm in Westchester in New York. Okay, I've heard of it. I know it very well. What can I do for you today? Well, um, I've got a couple of questions. I guess um, one of my primary questions is what to do with some excess cash. And I'd like to learn more about taking advantage of uh, a Roth backdoor conversion Mm -hmm. and essentially creating a... um, a long-term future non-taxable cash flow. Okay, that's great. Okay, so for everyone who's listening and doesn't know some of the, the, the details behind this question, Roth IRAs, which are fantastic and a great way to accumulate money and know that your tax situation is already handled, you don't force to take out distributions, it doesn't affect you know what's happening in your retirement for your income tax or whether you're working in some social security calculations, that's why people really love the Roth. Money goes in, no tax deduction today, it accumulates, but when you take the money out, no tax due. Problem is that if you make a lot of money, you are precluded from using a Roth. And so what has happened is there's this new way of thinking about how do you get that money into a Roth account. For those who make more than the Roth limits, there's something called a backdoor Roth. And essentially, here's what happens. You put money that is in a traditional IRA, but you don't take a tax deduction when you do that. So now you've just got money that went into this IRA. It's a non-deductible contribution. And then you convert it you convert that into a Roth IRA. And so you've done it through the back door. Now, there are lots of rules around this, but Dale, let me ask a few questions just as we can like sort of go through this. Number one is, how old are you right now? I'm 58. I'm married. My wife is 57. And are you working right now? And how long do you plan to work? Yes, uh, I'm working and I plan to work... um 
another five to seven years. Okay. And uh, will you have income when you retire? Like, are you going to have some stream of income, either a pension, not Social Security, but something big that's coming in later? Uh, Yeah. Uh, So between my wife and I, uh, we have $2.9 million in uh, a combination of 401ks, uh, teacher's insurance, uh, 457 plan, deferred compensation. That's awesome. That's awesome. Fantastic. Okay. Um, and would you say that um, if you look at all of the that 2.9, what percentage of that do you think is it is in tax-deferred types of accounts? What what chunk of that? Well, it's it's all in tax deferred. Uh, okay, and that's really I mean, I, I, okay. So I don't. I just said, uh, like, uh, and I'm going to get catch a lot of flack for this. Okay, everyone, two point nine million dollars—a lot of money. Okay, so I know that the reason why I sighed when I said that is that for Dale and his wife, you know, what's going to happen is when they turn seventy and a half, they are going to be forced to take a chunk of money out every year from those accounts. And that's going to complicate the tax situation in retirement. It's it's going to actually create a pretty big tax liability. This is a sort of a, a, a little bit of almost like a little pebble in the water, because when you think about the the big number that is here, the two point nine million, you know, you can only put fifty five hundred dollars plus a thousand because you're over fifty. So each of you can put in sixty five hundred dollars a year to an IRA and then convert it. But that doesn't seem like a lot compared to, you know, what you got in all those tax deferred accounts. It's not a bad idea. It's just a question really of how big an impact it's going to have. So, I mean, it's okay, right? 13 grand a year for five or seven more years. It's not it's not chump change, but it's not going to really put a dent in your bigger issue, which is how you're going to manage your tax liability in the future. Do you work yeah. with a um do you work with a CPA or a certified financial planner right now? I haven't. Uh no. I've I've checked a couple out and haven't been uh, too pleased. You know, I think that what might be interesting for you is maybe because I what I gather is that you've probably talked to, you know, some professional whose eyes light up when they see two point nine million dollars sitting in these accounts that will eventually get rolled over and then maybe they'll be able to manage them. I think what would be actually really valuable for you might be to talk to somebody who will uh, actually charge you by the hour to do real planning work. I mean, look, there's no way around it. You're going to have to pay tax on that money. It has not been taxed, right? But there may be better ways to manage it. There are types of of certified financial planners who are called fee-only advisors, okay? These folks don't take commissions, and these are the kind of people who are have established practices that allow them to charge a chunk of money. Like not, it's not cheap, but it's a bunch of money to do real analysis. But they're not going to be fighting to take over the asset management of the two point nine million. Okay, and I think that kind of person might be very helpful for you as you come into these retirement years. So there are a couple of places to get them. Um, one is there's an organization called NAP. N-A-P-F-A, NAPFA.org. And it's the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. Okay? that okay. That's a good place to start. 
Now, parenthetically, just because you're in the New York area, and I know a million people in the area, I'm going to ask Mark to grab your information, and I'll follow up with you with some names. Again, you pay a flat fee and say, do this big analysis for me. Give me your game plan. And maybe you don't even want to do it now. Maybe you want to do it when you're closer to retirement. Now might not be a bad time to pay a few thousand bucks to get a nice game plan in your mind, have it down on paper, and then you can update it later. But I think you're getting into this period now where it's important not to screw up the investment side, but also to have a real idea of what your, what we call decumulation strategy is. How am I getting the money out of the account? I've worked so hard to save. How will I get it out? So does that seem reasonable to you, Dale? It certainly does, yes. All right. So hang on. We're going to get Mark to uh, hook us up with some info, and I will be in touch with you directly, okay? That's fantastic, Joe. Appreciate that. All very right. Much. Jerry, thanks so much for calling. Great to talk to you. Thank you. Same here. Thanks again to Mike Quincy of Consumer Reports for joining us this week. Don't forget, we've got our bonus episode that comes out on Tuesdays and the longer form every single Thursday. You can subscribe via iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Jill on Money. That's at Jill on Money. Just use the hashtag better off. You can also reach me via email, askjill at betteroffpodcast.com. That's askjill at betteroffpodcast.com. And if you wouldn't mind, please leave us a review or a rating in iTunes. It really will help us out. Better Off is sponsored by Betterment. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Delercio produces. I'm Jill Schlesinger. See you next week.